0: Go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number 3. Book of Acts, chapter number 3, verse number 11. It's good to see you all in the house of the Lord. And when our young people, all of our young folks, except for Bishop Wilson, went to youth service, it looks different without them there in the middle. (laughs) Y'all are welcome to fill those spots on Wednesday nights. It sure make us look better on camera, that's for sure. Not that Brother Wilson don't look good by himself on camera, but, but uh, amen. Looking forward to the weekend. The Lord worked for us in a mighty way. Amen. Had a couple receive the Holy Ghost Sunday. Got one to baptize, at least one this coming Sunday, so we're thankful for that. Amen. Thankful for what God is doing. That's right. Amen. Amen. We still have a few of these missionary cards. If you want to be a part of supporting a missionary, uh, that you, any amount will help. And th- this is what they count on when these cards all come in. That's what they count on for their budget. So they know, uh, they know that they have their expenses met. And so we have those here tonight. Uh, just a few more. I'd like to get rid of all of them in Jesus' name. Acts chapter number 3. Verses 11 through 19, if you found it, say amen. amen. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness We had made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as, as did also your fathers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord." Amen. I'm going to talk to you a little while tonight about reasons for apostolic demonstration. Reasons for apostolic demonstration. God, anoint me to preach and teach your word. Anoint our ears to hear. God, anoint everyone that's here tonight. Anoint everyone that's joining online. I pray, God, that you would touch our children's classes, our youth classes, our grow classes tonight that are meeting around our campus. I pray, God, have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Our last lesson on Acts, a few weeks ago, Acts uh, it was our 14th lesson. We talked about the lame man that had been laid at the gate of the temple. Tonight, we're going to continue that story where we left off a few weeks ago. I will tell you that there has always been in Pentecostal circles a keen interest in spiritual gifts. In the last few years, our particular church has seen a rise in the use of the gifts of the Spirit among some of our ministers and members. And while it's not always manifested in a public sense, I would argue that it is God's design that God use His people in the work of the kingdom. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we're really talking about at least Tonight, I'm talking about those primarily found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning at verse number 7. And we're going to go there for a few moments tonight. And I might also add that while this passage lists nine gifts of the Spirit, the other passage, a couple verse chapters later, adds to it two particular gifts that are not listed here, and they're called helps and governments. And so when we talk about the spiritual gifts, what we're talking about primarily is this particular list that we're going to get into for a few moments tonight. First Corinthians 12 and 7 said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. And so we talk about the word of knowledge. What we're talking about is something that the Holy Ghost speaks to somebody that they would not otherwise know without the help of God. So we're talking about knowledge given by the Spirit of the Lord. When we talk about the word of wisdom, we're not talking about natural wisdom, you know, just knowing what kind of car to buy or, or you know, how much money to put in the bank. We're talking about wisdom in this sense of knowing what to do in a particular situation under the direction of the Holy Ghost, okay? 1 Corinthians 12 and 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. The Bible said, to every man is given the measure of faith. So everybody has a measure of faith. But when we talk about the gift of faith, what we're talking about is a dispensation of faith that is granted as a work of the Holy Ghost that is above and beyond your normal measure of faith gifts of healing we know what those mean those are that's self-explanatory verse number 10 to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another divers kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues and so the working of miracles are miracles not necessarily healing we believe healings are miracles but there's miracles that are not healing amen and so Prophecy is a word given under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, divinely spoken and initiated by the Holy Ghost. Discerning of spirits is the ability through the Holy Ghost to know that what we're dealing with in the spirit realm, to others diverse kinds of tongues. This particular passage here is not referring to tongues as the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's also not referring to tongues as your personal prayer language used in private devotion or worship. This is specifically talking about a message given in tongues corporately to the church that comes that must have an interpreter with it. And so it functions much like the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11. You can understand I'm running through this particular list fairly quick and not in depth whatsoever. Someday someday we'll probably get into it more in depth. Verse 11, but all these worketh that one and self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. There's two particular points that I want to emphasize from this passage in particular, and that's from verse number seven and verse number 11. Verse number seven, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Now, notice the apostle says that the manifestation is given to every man, to profit. God wants you to be blessed by the work of his Spirit. Amen. God wants everyone to be blessed by the work of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost, when the gifts of the Spirit flow, God wants people to be blessed. There's two different ways to interpret this verse. Uh, I think one of them is right. I think the other one The other one is is a it's a true statement, but I don't think it's exactly what the apostle was trying to communicate here. The first one would be that the spirit manifests itself, and it's for God, it's God's will for everyone to profit from the work of the Spirit. Okay? That when, for instance, if there is a message in in tongues and interpretation that comes to the church, that God wants everybody in the church to be blessed by that word. if there is a a word of prophecy that comes to the church, that God wants everybody to be blessed by that. However, I don't believe that's what this passage is meaning. It's my opinion, and I'm going to tell you contextually why in just a moment. But I believe that God wants everyone in his church to be used by the Holy Ghost. Amen. The manifestation of the Spirit. Is given to every man to profit with all. God wants to use everybody in the gift of the Spirit, in a gift of the Spirit at some point. It may not be manifested all the time. It may not, for some, it may not ever be manifested. But I believe that God has given everyone that has the Holy Ghost spiritual giftings to be used in the kingdom of God. Amen. The reason I believe that that is the proper interpretation for this verse is because the passage ends in verse 11. This particular context ends in verse 11. It starts in 7, and it says that the the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then in verse 11, he says, but all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will." The Spirit divides to everybody as He wishes. That everyone that is filled with the Holy Ghost, God wants to use them in particular ways. I believe everybody has spiritual gifts. Amen. That God has a particular gifting for everyone in the church. Everybody's got a part to play, everybody's got a purpose, everybody's got a role, everyone's important, everyone has a purpose. In the kingdom of God. God wants to use his people. And God wants to use his people through the Spirit for his purpose. Amen. This is not to be a public demonstration all the time. That, that, you know, we have occasionally, we have evangelists come by. And these evangelists are used in the gifts of the Spirit in a very public way. And that is a season of... Of, of time that God uses that person in a particular way, it's very difficult for the pastor to be used that way because the pastor knows more about stuff than the evangelist does. And so if, if I were to start calling stuff out, you'd wonder who told me. Right? Sometimes we have an evangelist coming, you wonder who told him. <laughs> or her. But all these worketh in the self-same self, same spirit, dividing to every man. I believe that God wants to use his people in the gifts of the Spirit and in other giftings by the Spirit to grow the kingdom of God. What I'm establishing tonight is that we all have something that we can contribute to the kingdom of God. I'm establishing that we believe that the manifestation of the Spirit is for the church in this day and hour. Amen. We pray, we pray for God to have His way in us as individuals because He can't have His way in the church if individuals don't let Him have His way. And so I, I want to look, look for a moment or two at the first recorded miracle of the church age. And for that, that's the lesson we talked about, about the lame man that was healed at the gate of the temple. I want to look at this first reported miracle of the early church. Now, I I try to be careful with my words because, Brother Stan, it's possible there was another miracle that happened that wasn't written about. But this was the first one reported by Luke. And so as far as we know, this is the first miracle after the upper room, at least as, as far as we can tell. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, the Bible said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one place and in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the birth of the church. That was the beginning. That was the point of origin. 120, about 120 in the upper room received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on that morning sometime before 9 a.m. The news quickly spread through Jerusalem and the multitude began to come together. And there there was a great multitude. And when the apostle Peter preached on that day, the Bible said that there was about 3,000 that were added to the church. That's according to Acts 2.41. So you go from 120 to 3,000 in one day. The church instantly began to disciple believers. Acts 2, 42 through 47, they preached the apostles' doctrine. I know we go over this a lot. You want to know the reason we go over it a lot? So we'll remember it. They preached the apostles' doctrine. They emphasized fellowship of believers. They partook of the sacrament of communion. They prayed together. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. They met from house to house. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, you know, we we go through this list a lot, and we we have over time in several Bible studies, we've addressed all of these. The one that I realize we haven't really got to a lot, Brother David, is the having favor with all the people. We hadn't really emphasized that too much, but the word favor there means graciousness or a manner of acting. In other words, they lived in such a way that the people of the city believed that their experience was real. They were gracious. They were friendly. They were kind. They were honest. They paid their bills. They were nice. They were trustworthy. They were, they were good citizens. They, they behaved themselves in such a way that the people that knew them may not have agreed with their doctrine, but they knew they were good people. They had favor with all the people. The way they lived their life didn't undermine the testimony of their faith. All right? You ever known somebody that you think, well, if that's what their faith does for them, I'm not sure I want what they got? That's not any of you, I hope. If it is, we need to change, don't we? We need to change that. But they had favor with all the people. They lived their life in such a way that the way they acted made people understand that their experience was real. And so when they did all that they could do, God did what he could do. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then from there, we go into Acts chapter number 3. When we get into Acts number 3, Acts chapter number 3, the Bible said that there was a man that was carried that was lame from his mother's womb and he was laid at the gate of the temple at the what they called the beautiful gate. And Peter and John went about the hour of prayer, and the Bible said that when they came by, he expected he reached out to them for alms and expecting to receive something of them. And they said, silver and gold, some of you can quote this, right? Silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately his ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, began to praise God. Amen. I will tell you that we need a move of the Holy Ghost. They did what they could do, and then God did what he could do. I know I've told you this before, and uh, the problem with getting older is that you say the same things over and over and over again. You tell the same stories. But I remember a few years ago, just not, not, not that long ago, I was in the prayer room, and I was earnestly praying, asking God for revival for this church. I knew we needed a move of God. I knew we needed God to do something. I knew that we needed the Holy Ghost to intervene and God to turn and move for us. I was desperate for a move of God. And so I came to the church by myself for hours, and I'd lay on the prayer room floor, and I'd ask God to send revival And I, on one particular day. And again, I've told you this before, on one particular day, I was praying, God, give us revival, give us revival. And I, and I felt like I heard a voice speak to me and say, I don't give revival. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like God. You know, that doesn't sound like God would say he don't give revival. So I, I did what Pentecostal preachers do. I got louder and uh, I strained more. Uh, you know, I, I probably hit the floor a little bit harder. And... Uh, and, and so I, I said, God, give revival. God, give us revival. And, and I felt like I heard that voice again say, I don't give revival. And I thought, well, that can't be God because God wants to give revival. I've, I've always believed that. And so I, for the patent, I did what Pentecostal preachers do. I got louder. I strained more. I made sure the veins in my neck popped. I did, you know, I did everything I could do to show God that I was straining my best to get what I could from him. God, give us revival. I'm probably looking at a big baby beating on the floor. Just, and I was. God, give us revival. And the third time I heard the voice say, I don't give revival. And so I said, God, if this is you, you've got to tell me what you mean by that. And he said, revival is not a gift. Revival is an answer. And if you'll do what it takes to have revival, you'll have revival. But I won't just give it to you. And so it brings me back to what I've said over and over. If we want what the apostles had, we got to do what the apostles did. If we want what the book of Acts church had, we got to do what the book of Acts church did. If we want to see what they saw, we got to do what they did. Amen. Because God's not just going to hand revival to you and your family. God's just not going to give it to us. As if it's Christmas morning and we just get done. He said, But if you'll do what it takes, then what does it take? We got to preach the apostles' doctrine. We got to continue in prayer and fellowship daily in the temple from house to house. We got to be praising God and having favor with all the people. And if we'll do what we can do, God will do what only He can do. And so the church goes from that environment to This Peter and John go to the temple to pray and they they pray for this lame man and this lame man is healed and as far as we know, it's the first miracle out of the upper room. This lame man, lame from his mother's womb, later on in Acts 4.22, we find out that he was above 40 years old. So for 40 years, this man has not walked. He asked for this money and they gave him a miracle instead of money. Amen, I'd rather have a miracle than money. I'd take a miracle of money. The man was healed and made to walk and leap and praise God. Acts 3 and 11, the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. Can you imagine? I mean, he held them. He, he hugged them. I was listening to an old tape. Brother Wilson, you remember Brother Ray Majors? Is that the name? The old preacher. I was listening today to, to an old message of his that he preached years and years and years and years ago. And he was talking about people hugging necks. And I got thinking, I've never seen somebody hug a neck. I've seen them hug their shoulder, but not their neck. I don't mind you hugging me, but don't hug my neck. The Bible said that, he, that the, the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. He was so thankful, so excited, after over 40 years, so excited to have a miracle that he's holding on to Peter and John. And all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When we first encountered this man, he was laying outside the wall of the temple complex at the Gate Beautiful because of his physical condition because he was what they called a cripple. He was not allowed to enter into the temple. He couldn't go through that gate because he was physically impaired. But now we find him at Solomon's porch within the wall because the miracle what kept him out couldn't keep him out anymore. When God moved, the thing that restricted him was taken out of the way, and he could go further than he had ever gone before. For 40 years, he could never go past that gate, but now he can go all the way to the porch of the temple. When God begins to move, he'll take people further than they ever thought they'd be able to go. Don't look at your life now and say, God, I can't do anything for you. You wait until God really gets a hold, and he'll take you further than you think you can go. Amen. The lame man now is at the porch of the temple holding Peter and John. The people come. They ran unto them. And they began, to. the Bible said they were greatly wondering. They noticed this man that had for 40 years, he's been begging. For 40 years, he's been crippled. We know this man. We see him. Every time we come to the house of God and we walk through that gate, we see this man. He was laid daily at the gate. But now he's holding them, holding Peter and John at Solomon's porch. My question is, why did God manifest this demonstration on this man? Why did God heal this man? After all these years, why did God heal this man? And of all the men, why him? I submit to you tonight that God moved not only for the man that needed the miracle, but God healed the man for the people of the city. God did not just do it for the sake of a poor 40-year-old man that couldn't walk. He did it to show the city what he could do. Amen. Here is my point tonight. I'm almost done maybe. Here is my point, that God wants people to be saved desperately and that God will do miracles if that's what it takes to reach people. Acts 3 and 12, when Peter saw it, he answered, The people, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this or why ye look ye so earnestly on us as though by our power or holiness we made this man to walk? He said, we didn't do this. You're looking at us like we're miracle workers, but we're not the miracle worker here. All we are is a vessel. We're not special. We're not awesome. Look, if God ever uses you, don't ever get an attitude all puffed up about it because if God uses you, it's not about you. It's about the person he's using you to reach. He said, it's not our holiness that did this, and it's not our power that did this. And God help us as a church to always remember that if anybody is ever delivered here, healed here, set free here, it's not because of us and our holiness, and it's not by our powers because somehow or another we let God work. Amen. Amen. And that's the point. We gotta let God work. We gotta let God be God. That's the whole point. We gotta let God do in this place what God wants to do. I submit to you tonight that God will work miracles when the miracle is for his purpose, not ours. It's not to make me look powerful. It's not to make me look extra holy. It's not to make me look like I'm something special. If God ever uses me for anything, it's not about me. It's about his mission. If God ever uses you to help anybody, to touch anybody, to reach anybody, it's never going to be about you. It's always about the mission of God. Our mission is to reach sinners, not to see miracles. Amen. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens there because we're Pentecostal and we like miracles and we believe in miracles. Amen. I believe in miracles. I'm telling you, I believe in miracles. I've seen miracles. Thank God. I believe in miracles. But my purpose, my mission is not to see miracles. My mission is to see people saved. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd trade every miracle that's ever happened for lost people to be filled with the Holy Ghost and set free. Because our mission, our mission is not miracles. Our mission is to see people saved. God will work miracles if it's about his mission be ac- being accomplished. Amen. I'm, I'm really getting somewhere here. I'm trying to plant something in the mentality of this congregation tonight. So we can see more miracles, but if we see more miracles, it'll be about the mission, not about our holiness and our and our power. That Peter and John said, "This is not by our power and it's not our holiness that you see this. This is all about Jesus Christ. God did this, not us." Amen. And God, everything you want to do in this building will not take the glory for it. We'll give you the glory. We'll understand that it's not us, God. It's your mission. And so if we'll be about mission, God will work miracles. But God won't work miracles outside of his mission. Amen. When the apostles had the people's attention by the miracle, they began to preach Jesus to them. Acts 3:13 through 15, The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, And denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One, the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. He preached Jesus to them. He preached Jesus to them. He preached the death of Jesus. He preached the resurrection of Jesus. He pointed his finger. In my mind, I imagine he pointed his finger at him. I know I probably would have. He said, he, said, he said, you delivered him up to Pilate, and when, he, when Pilate wanted to let him go, you asked Pilate to kill him and give a murderer away. You denied the Holy One. You killed the Prince of Life, whom God, he's preaching Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he takes it a step further and he preaches the power of the name of Jesus. John, Acts three sixteen. His name and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. He said his name through faith in his name. I know people that, that that use the name of Jesus like it's a magic potion. They don't have a relationship with him. They don't serve him. They don't live for him. But when they need something, they just pull the name out. Like a magic potion, like a chant it, like a some kind of a magical. Magical chant that that makes something happen. But the apostle said it's his name through faith in his name. We used his name because we believe in the power of his name. It's faith in his name. I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he can do. And so because I have faith in his name, I can use his name and it works. Amen. He He said it's faith in his name that made this man strong. Forty plus years you saw him lay here. Forty years you knew that he couldn't walk. From the time he was from his mother's womb until now, more than 40 years, this man hasn't been able to walk. But now, through faith in his name, God has made this man strong. You see and know. He said, whom you see and know. I submit to you that God healed this man not because the man had a need. God healed this man because the man was known. There were needs everywhere. Everybody had a need. He went to the the pool of Bethesda, and there was a multitude of needs, and he only healed one of them. The need doesn't move God. God healed this man not because he had a need, but because everybody knew he had a need. And so the purpose of the miracle was not only to heal the man's ankles, the purpose of the miracle was to let the city know that Jesus Christ is a healer and Jesus Christ works miracles. It was all about the mission of God. Amen. For decades, I might might be out on thin thin ice here, but... uh, But some of you might not be listening now anyway, so I might get away with it. But let me just go ahead and say that for decades, maybe centuries, I think, many churches have been about the people on the inside more than the people on the outside. And so healing has been most often about ourselves, not about the mission. Our pain, our problems, our circumstances, our trials, our tribulations, our diseases, our sicknesses. And so it's all about us. I didn't expect an amen. I knew I was climbing out on that limb. But primarily, our prayer requests have been about ourselves, our pain, our problems. But this man was healed according to this verse, because he was seen and known. It was a missional move of God to let the world know that God has power and that Jesus Christ is a healer. It's through the name of Jesus that this man that you see and know has been healed. Not one time did they say that God had compassion on the lame man, even though we know we did, but it was always about reaching the people of the city God worked the miracle to reach lost people. Amen. I know it's not popular among insiders, but I'm going to tell you there's a whole world out there that needs to know that there's still power in the name of Jesus, that there's still healing in the name of Jesus. There's a whole world out there that's been told that God's dead and religion's dead, and they've been told that the Bible's just a storybook. And they've been told over and over in the, in the college and universities. They've been told that God's not real and God's not alive. And it's just an old religion, an old man's fable. And they need to know that Jesus Christ really is a miracle worker. And he really is a healer. And he really can do it. And so when God sends miracles, it's not just for us in here that already believe. It's not just to pat us on the head and say, here's a little blessing, church. Here's some candy. Keep coming back to heavenly Santa Claus. When he sends a miracle, it's primarily focused to let somebody on the outside know that God still is a miracle-working God. So every time you see God do something for somebody, you ought to see, I can't wait to tell my co-workers what happened at church last night. I can't wait to tell my lost family what God's doing at Bethlehem. I can't wait to go and tell somebody. I can't wait to tell my neighbor what God did in church tonight for Brother So-and-So. It's always a missional move of the Spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. I know you hadn't heard this much before, but I'm telling you, God would rather work miracles to reach mission rather than it would be to just give us a little present now and then to keep us excited enough to come and clap our hands for him. It's not about inside, it's about outside. And if we'll focus on outside, God will send more miracles. That's the point I'm trying to make. The reason for apostolic demonstration is to show the world that God's still alive. His power is still real. There's power in the name. There's power in the blood. There's power in the Holy Ghost. That's the mission of the miracle. Oh, why don't you lift your hands to heaven? Hallelujah. I believe that if we will be committed to testifying to sinners about the move of the Spirit that we see, that we'll see more of the miraculous in action because it was a missional move of the Spirit why this miracle happened. And this passage ends, this particular portion of this passage ends in Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The reason for the miracle was to bring people to repentance and conversion, that their sins could be blotted out. And so God chose to heal this man that everybody knew that had laid for 40 years, that God chose to heal this man so the city would know and be brought to repentance. And so when they all run to Solomon's porch, To see the lame man standing by Peter and John. Peter and John say, I didn't do this. This wasn't my power. This wasn't my holiness. But Jesus Christ, the one that you had crucified, it's through his name that this man has been raised up. And he has perfect strength and he's been healed. And not only that, but here's your responsibility now that you know what Jesus can do. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sin, it was always a missional move of the Spirit why the miracle happened. I'm telling you that if we will make up our mind to testify about every miracle that God does in Bethlehem, about every healing, about every blessing that we find out, hey, guess what? Hey, Hey, neighbor, guess what God did for Brother Stan and Sister Robin? You wouldn't believe how God blessed them. You wouldn't believe how God healed Brother Benny. If we'll make it our mission to testify about the miraculous, God will send more miracles because it won't be about us consuming it. It will be a missional move of the Spirit so we can draw people to repentance and conversion. Praise God. So if you want to see more miracles, don't say, I wonder why I don't have more miracles. Here's the reason we don't have more, because we don't testify to sinners enough about the ones we do have. Amen. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. The whole point of the miracle was to have these people's sins blotted out. Acts four and four, howbeit this is later on when the, the when they're they're trying to figure out what all happened. The priests, the Sadducees, are upset about it, that because because the apostles are preaching the resurrection, and uh, the Sadducees are trying to figure out how to stop it. And so in Acts four and four, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. That's the whole goal, folks. Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. A great revival from a miracle that got testified about. The purpose for the demonstration of the Spirit. We started talking about the gifts of the Spirit word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of faith, working in miracles, gifts of healing, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. We talked about all those gifts of the Spirit. so that we understand that when God uses anybody in those, it's not about us. It's always about his mission. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. You understand I'm not preaching tonight to indict this congregation, but to speak to our movement more widely and say that God sends great miracles for his mission, not for the entertainment of the people already in the church. So the next time you hear of a healing or miracle or a blessing for somebody, you should determine to tell as many people as you can because it is a missional move, and God will always move to advance his mission. And we'll unlock another level of the supernatural into this place. You talk about seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. You talk about seeing the move of the Spirit and people delivered and set free and healed and raised up. Diseases cast out. Tumors fall off. When you, you start talking about if, if God knows that we're going to tell the world about it and God knows that we're going to reach people, that's the missional move of the Spirit. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the purpose for apostolic Demonstration as our eyes are closed all over this place. Oh God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us to be missional. God, to be always thinking, always, always dwelling on the mission of your spirit in our lives to reach lost people. And God, I do want to see miracles, I do want to see healings, and I do hope you heal. The people in this church and do miracles for people in this church but God I understand that it is a missional it's a missional move of the spirit when you do it and I promise that if you'll move I'll tell people about it I promise God that if you'll work miracles I'll tell people that you're still a miracle worker and I'll use it not for my own benefit and not for my own entertainment but God to further your mission can you help me pray right now would, would you be willing that if God worked a miracle for you or someone you love and care about to tell everybody you can think of about the miracle? Because if you'll get that mindset, God's getting ready to send miracles into this place. You mark my word right down the night that I preach this, and you hold it to it. You hold me to it because if we'll do it, if we'll testify about what we see God do, God's going to unlock a level of the supernatural in this place like like we've never experienced before because it's missional. It's missional. It's for his purpose. Lord, I pray help us to be about our Father's business. Help us to be mission-minded, soul-minded, to reach people, God. Help us, Lord Jesus. God, we're running out of time. We're running out of time to make a difference. We're running out of time to reach lost people. We're running out of time to impact our community, God. Our world, our nation's going crazy, God. It's losing its mind and it's lost its morals, but God, you're able to send a great revival. And so, God, I know, I know, God, you're able. And so, God, I'm asking you, God to help us be about your mission so we can see the move of your spirit in Jesus name and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus name.